0: this episode of right at the fork is brought to you by zoo pans markets we're court right now you'll find holiday gift boxes and I'm looking at some of these you know including things like back pork chocolate and uh, proud Mary coffee and great local wines and then there's some Gift boxes that have all of Zupan's proprietary um, items, like some olive oil in there. Virginia peanuts are fantastic. Their maple syrup is great. Uh, it's a you know, if you're looking for a general idea to make anybody happy, of course, Zupan's. We've always said is the place to go when you're shopping for gifts. And of course, giving gifts is all part of the holiday season.
1: And so is prime rib, Chris. Uh, you know, and there is prime rib, and then there's USDA graded. prime prime rib that's what you're going to get at your local Zupan's market uh, this holiday season you can dazzle your guests with a steakhouse experience right at your own home so they've got three different roasts that you can choose from that are graded or higher and you know d- different uh, uh, marbling going on but here's the deal you've got to reserve your roast for christmas before tuesday or by tuesday december 20th uh, because nothing's better than prime rib on a christmas afternoon
0: and the leftovers too, but you know what, Court? I'm not doing that. You know what I'm doing? We're checking in to some lobster rolls, mm-hmm. and we're gonna we're gonna buy. We checked into what the availability of excellent lobster at Zoo Pins. And we're going to get some, uh, some rolls and make them the split tops and make lobster rolls for uh, Christmas this year. And Nice. Uh, so we're going to put them together the, uh, on Christmas Day. So I'm excited about that. Also, speaking of lobster and... Fish, uh, you'll find Jacob and Sons Smoke fish now at Zupans, and we just had Noah Jacob on the podcast. Listen to that podcast, and also go into Zupans and check out the fine products that Noah and his team are making and distributing through all three Zupans markets. Where would we find those, Court? That would be West Burnside, Lake Oswego, and. McAdam, right. And you again, go to the website and check out what's going on and order your holiday meals or sides at zupans dot com.
1: All right, here it is time. Once again, it is Portland's food scene podcast right at the fork with your host, Chris Angeles from Portland food adventures. I'm
0: co-host court Johnson in this holiday month. It is the holiday month and we're winding to completing. I have to keep to, I think we're completing our eighth season of podcasts moving into our ninth. And I, I, you know, I guess I've said it too much before, but I just, it's hard for me to believe because 2014, when we started this in January, was a completely different food world than it is right now. Yeah. Um, it, at least in Portland. And it was kind of a different world, too, period. It was, uh, yeah, it was a while ago.
1: Yeah. I mean, you and I have actually talked about doing a uh, feature or maybe just a, a regular. Uh, you know, episode that we work into the mix where we talk about where are these people now?
0: Uh, yeah, I think we so should much do it. Changed. Now that's, that's, that hinges on my contacting a lot of people from who've been on the podcast in the past and then them wanting to talk about it. I have quite a few in mind. So um, I think that might be interesting. On the other hand, it's not something anyone can really act on. But it might talk a little bit to what happened to our food scene. You know, there are a lot of young, new people. There's new things going on, including uh, Eric Hernandez, whom we'll talk with in this podcast uh, of Nice Footwear. He's been connected to a lot of people, and he's got a few things to say. Um, But, uh, yeah, I just can't believe how fast... Time is flying. Hey, Chris, and I
1: just had this realization, and you and I are actually looking at each other, not in the same room, but via technology, via cameras. But off camera, you couldn't see me counting with my fingers, because I think we're wrong. I think we're wrapping up our ninth year going into our tenth.
0: Okay, I'm going to count with my fingers. 2014, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, you are correct.
1: Yeah. So, like, all year long, we've been wrong. We've been off
0: by a year. Yeah, we, we, didn't, we didn't take credit for a year. So, yep. that's listeners, pandemic for you. we loved you, even though we weren't counting you. Nope. Which year, But the question is, which year did we leave off?
1: Oh, yeah, that's a great question. If, if we <laughs> could get rid of any of the
0: past nine years... Oh, it that's easy. 2020. Sure. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. That sure. is simple. That yep. was no that was not a fun year to be doing this podcast. At least for a while, I think, you know, when, when all it was was talking gloom and doom. Had to get creative in uh yeah. in how And to I, you know, together. I don't think we're completely out of it. I think that a lot of restaurants are paying off loans and trying to make things work, but it seems like things are hopping a little bit.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, there's definitely definite, uh, you know, um, there, there's there's buzz in the industry. I think that hasn't been there for a while. There's also, you know, we kind of went through this funky stage, and I think some some parts of town are still kind of in it, determining whether they keep those. And I, and you tell me, Chris, because I, I can't remember how Portland has decided the the temporary outside, though somewhat inside. Um, you know eating areas they created during the pandemic so that you know people could be sheltered but eat outside um a lot of those are going away but i don't know if the city is making them go away because i know up in seattle they're actually allowing those structures to stick around permanently. well
0: i know the restaurants like them in the summertime <clears> yeah. but i don't think a lot of them are using them right now when it's Oh Relativity. no! I chilly.
1: I went somewhere recently, and and the majority of the their eating area was outside, and it was just, it was too cold.
0: Yeah, I don't really. I just uh, I went to Flying Fish the other day, and that's outside, and that was warm enough. But we were sitting right by the fire, right? So um, I don't know. I mean, I you know, when it's like this, I'd prefer to go somewhere cozy. Mm-hmm. Um, but most restaurants have that option now. Right. Um, I had occasion to dine at Urdaneta, uh, last week with some friends who'd been with us on our trip to Spain. And that was absolutely delightful. It made me, we all were talking about it and we thought it's kind of a shame that any restaurant that's been around for a while isn't considered for all these restaurant of the year deals. On different media it's right. kind of a shame because I uh, they're dialed in they've been they ha- they're packed they've been doing it for a long while and listen nothing against con getting restaurant of the year and esquire and we've talked about this but it had been open a month when it got it and that's just i guess people are looking for the new exciting thing and that's fine but restaurants you know like that have been around for a while should be considered for those things. I think
1: no, in, in, in total agreement on that. And, you know, we're, this is going to be my, uh, I don't know if we need to segue yet, but it, there's so much that goes into creating a restaurant atmosphere, um, that's beyond the food. It's the ambiance. That's the, the way things are structured. It's the sound, you know, how they've soundproofed the area so that, you know, air, you know, chatter in the in the kitchen doesn't float out into the into the you know if you've got an open concept going on it doesn't you know it doesn't make it super noisy so all those things go into it and a lot of times and any any restaurant owner will tell you this they don't get it right, right out of the gate they have to tweak stuff over time so you know the restaurant hopefully improves with time and that's kind of what our our, our point is, is these great restaurants that have been around that may not be the new shiny toy Um, are better than ever
0: yeah i think so but you know then then it comes down to someone's um, uh, subjective opinion so like if i were doing it you know i necessarily couldn't name anything restaurant of the year because i don't go to enough places to be a judge Uh, there are people who do but you know i go back to We had Brooke from Eater on the podcast quite a few times and you know, she's great. She does a, she works very hard at what she does. But you know, years ago, if you go to the Eater 38 and they had a new food cart that had just opened four months ago on their Eater 38 and they did not have ringside steakhouse that had been around for 78 years doing what they're doing. I beefed about that a lot, and I was glad to see that eventually that changed. Ringside is on the Eater 38. I hope by my saying this, I didn't just <laughs> Curse ca- them. cause her to want to knock them off. But I mean, just that to me makes so much sense. Some yeah. n- new food cart in Portland. People are looking at a list of places that are great to go eat. They're traveling in from out of town. And ringside isn't on that list, but some food cart that someone won't even consider in the middle of the winter is. So, um, yeah, those things are are kind of funky. The point is there is still a lot of... Great dining to be had at restaurants that have been around. I mean, you can go to St. Jack and have a fantastic meal. Mm -hmm. Uh, I go down the line. But you can't go to Paley's Place. Nope. And you you can't go to – well, you can go to certain other restaurants that have chefs who are gone. But um, anyway – Uh, We'll cover that in the new year. I think I'd like to uh, talk to the folks who are now running Ken's uh, as opposed to Ken Forkish as we move forward. So, yeah, there's a lot of new things going on, but it's... I guess I'll stop bemoaning it, but it just doesn't seem like the same Portland food world to me any longer. Although that does not mean we don't have a plethora of options out there. And there are a plethora of great people running um, restaurants or running whatever they're doing um, in the scene. And uh, so it's good to, to seek those out. And in that Vane, I found Eric Hernandez at a really cool event. It was a media event that was taking place at um, Steelport Knives, I don't know, over a month ago. And I was able to run into, those people are great. Steelport, Finex was there. There were some other, there were some coffee purveyors. Ken's Artisan was there. And then I met uh, Eric from Mies Footwear, which is very interesting. And honestly, I planned on getting into, we even talked about it in the podcast, some of Eric's, he, we did talk about his history at K-Swiss and Adidas, and then going into form Mies um, as part of a uh, studio design where situation with his wife. Um, And I wanted to hear about his experience with Kanye West. Yay. Um, We never got there. But so we talked about having him back to do that because um, I kind of took a different direction when we were talking about shoe designing. And he worked um, with uh, shit. What's his name? Harden. You know. Oh, James Harden. James Harden. Yeah, mm-hmm. sorry. I'm so, trying to think of
1: which team James Harden is currently playing on because he's moved around. I think I think right. he's with the 76ers.
0: Okay, good. Yeah. Thanks for looking that up. But, mm-hmm. yeah, you know. Yeah, it's off the top a, of my head. He was a mainstay with the Rockets for years. Years. Oklahoma City did a
1: little brief stint there in Brooklyn, and now I think he's with the 76ers. Yeah. The beard. So, he's the
0: beard, Chris. That's what they the call him guy. in the biz. Yeah. Yeah, so um, – I was curious about that. And instead of talking about his interactions with Mr. Harden, I was curious about how that all comes about, how much input the uh, the, the stars have into shoes. Exactly what is the input? Is it style? Is it comfort? Is it, you know, what, what impact do they have on a shoe that's named after them? So we go into that and it's interesting, very interesting, I think. You be the judge. <laughs> but uh, but now, you know, Mies is making footwear for chefs. And having started at the pandemic, Eric pointed out some very interesting things about the challenges that presented for him, but also the opportunities in terms of um, trying some new places and getting in and getting feedback to develop footwear specifically for uh, people in the food industry, and you know, I find it interesting. Court he pointed out that you know when he was um, when he was talking to folks early on, they were using Dansko shoes because it's the best Dansko and Birkenstocks because they were comfortable. But no mm-hmm. one with all the shoe stuff going on in the world. No one had said, what are we doing for chefs? And Mies has done that, and they're on their way. It's an interesting story. So um, I thought it touched on a lot of things we're talking about. And, of course, it's a Portland company. So um, that's pretty cool, too. And uh, it's a great place to launch something in the food world, and uh, that's what they're doing. So I really enjoyed this conversation. And, um he was a great guest. I told him afterwards, not that I like to see this necessarily, but as long as we're we're in the mix said anytime anybody asks you you're one of the best guests we've had so um, you know but i I really enjoy when guests bring new things to the table that we hadn't thought about and perspectives that uh, are very interesting that you know in this and in this case we 're not talking about cooking we 're talking about the industry itself so um I think everyone will enjoy this talk with Eric Hernandez of Mies Footwear.
2: Right at the fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupans and be inspired for your next meal. Food-loving customers as well as local chefs know that Zupans is the place to find the very best Northwest bounty in Portland. West Burnside, McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family-owned for over 40 years. Zupan's Markets. Ringside Steakhouse. For over 78 years now, Ringside has been providing the best in steaks and has been the home for the beacon of great hospitality in Portland. Now featuring dining in their updated dining room and al fresco in one of the nicest outdoor dining spaces in the city. Make a reservation today at ringsidesteakhouse.com, and while you're there, sign up for their mailing list to be the first to find out about the exciting specials and events going on at Portland's beloved Hallmark restaurant, Ringside Steakhouse.
0: I really appreciate your, um, the bio you sent me was interesting, and, uh, I'm looking forward to tackling a little bit of that and a little bit of this, you know, um, you know, you have a very interesting um, interesting career that led that has led you to where you are. Um, why don't you talk a little bit about what Mies Footwear is all about and what you've accomplished up to now, and then we'll kind of go back.
3: Yeah, um, well, uh, Mies Footwear started as uh, a question of why isn't anyone doing uh, good kitchen shoes, and by good, it's for for my personal background and our team's background is um, athletic inspired. Taking taking the feedback from the kitchen uh, to the front of house, back of house, bartenders, baristas. Um, so many of the competitors or the the shoes that were out there when we first asked that question. Um, weren't specifically for the food and beverage industry or culinary professionals. Um, they were shoes that were made for posture, for comfort, for standing in one place for hours. And we saw how athletic, how much performance there is in the kitchen when you're stuck on the line and you've got three feet of aisleway uh, between eight of your crew. If you're running from the dish pit to the, the walk-in, Everything is so drastically different from icy to oily to hot to cold to um, jumping, spinning, tiptoeing, crouching, low boys, tall shelves. And so um, when we asked that question, it really meant a lot for us to then go out and ask that question to the people that were out there actually doing the jobs. Because for us, we were footwear experts. Our team um, at my wife's studio that we asked that question to, Studio Noise – Um, so much of it was about, Hey, we know performance. We've worked in running basketball, tennis. We've been tasked to do hunting boots, gardening shoes, uh, hiking boots for, for Everest level, um, scaling of mountains and no one's ever come to us about kitchen shoes. And that seems like a miss. And so we really wanted to go out and ask people what they wanted versus just saying, Hey, we know what you need and this is what it is. And so that was in 2019 that we first really asked that question.
0: And so was that a question that that was spawned from you being in Portland where chefs and food is a big part of our culture or was it was it hey let's have a brainstorming session on directions we can go and and kitchens came up?
3: Honestly it was uh it was a uh conversation that happened almost 10 years ago now uh, when I was working in Los Angeles with uh, the team at Vans. And we were traveling to China uh, for manufacturing um, trips two to three times a year. And our home base was in Hong Kong. And they, uh, the team that had been there a few times said, hey, we have a few friends that opened up a restaurant here called Yardbird. Um, and it's, a a yakitori restaurant run by Matt Abriel and his partner, Lindsay Jang. And they were ex skate, you know, uh, lived in Canada, ex skate, um, skate shop employees that ran the gamut of learning hospitality and top tier cooking that were then sent to, uh, Hong Kong to start a restaurant and then decided to start their own restaurant, um, They were semi-sponsored by Vans. Fans would set them up with shoes um, for front of house, especially. Um, And Lindsay would come to the table and be like, hey, can we do a collaboration? Can we do something with our logo? We'd love something. And it just became a conversation that I was like, wow, that's really interesting that nobody's really doing shoes for that type of level of performance, but also quality and style. Um, Because that crew was... You know Carhartt collaborations, awesome graphic tees from from renowned artists, and they were just wearing whatever shoes they could get their hands on, whether that's Crocs, Birkenstocks, Vans in the front of house, or whatever anybody preferred. And it was like they're so well uniformed, it seemed crazy to not um, uniform down to the toe. And so for me, that hung in my in my mind for such a long time. I every time I've been to Hong Kong, I've been to that restaurant to say hi to the crew. Um, And that also gave me such a love and passion for the hospitality industry, knowing that I would never be able to do what they do, um, but I would love to serve them the way they serve us. And that became kind of my goal.
0: It's interesting to think that you pointed out that... um they were spending so much time on fashion, really, on on above their feet, when the industry, the challenges, what goes on on their feet. Other than, you know, they have some, they got a lot of things to do with their hands too, I suppose. But, you know, you're on your feet for a lo- a long time, and. Uh, you know, yeah, to spend so much time on uh, logo designs and so forth, and then ignore feet seems to be, uh, a, you know, it's it's cool that you recognize that, and but that nobody else was.
3: Yeah, and it's it's very interesting to see that that's just across the gamut, you know, from from fully uniformed teams to you know, and here in Portland, there's a lot more of a flexible um, uniform of you know, graphic tees jeans chinos what have you and again whatever shoes that may um fit the bill and as we started to talk to people locally um in 2020 you know the uh the lockdown situation of the pandemic at the start of 2020 really was uh it helped reinforce that we wanted to do something for that industry not just for the sake of getting them in better shoes but to make sure that people knew what was going on in the industry in different ways. And so it was really interesting to be a part of that community of hey, what's going on, who's serving takeout, who's doing meal kits, who's helping people get meals that can't afford meals. And so that was our first real outreach was March, April, May of 2020. Um, we were already doing some design work, but we wanted real world feedback. And so I started an Instagram for me's and just started DMing any and every restaurant that I could asking if they'd give me five minutes of time to just say, hi, how are you? And what are you wearing? You know, um, and those five minute DMS became hour, two hour, three, three hour long visits, you know, masked six feet apart. Um, to go pick up some takeout and then talk about how things are going—not just with their feet, but you know, with their lives and everything that both our industry was dealing with as an agent, small agency working for footwear, or you know, a restaurant that may have one one food cart or five you know five brick and mortars—and how similar all those things in small business were really being affected.
0: It's interesting that, that the timing of that because. On one hand, it's not a great time to say, hey, I want a a little of your time right now when they're going through, they were going through those challenges in April, uh, March and April of 2020, but then it's another thing, they may have had the time to do it as well, so uh, yeah, it was kind of a mixed bag there.
3: Yeah, it was always interesting to ask, and it was always hard, it was difficult for us to figure out whether it was it was going to be something worthwhile or not, you know, but I think so many people cared to just hear that somebody wanted to know how they were doing and weren't just upset about an order being wrong or your hours being different or short staffed to the point where you have to shudder. Like we, all we had was love for the, for the people we were going to talk to, you know, it was the first time I got to meet some of my favorite chefs and restaurateurs that I had always geeked out on being in Portland and, um, to the fact that, hey, like I've worked with big name athletes, but I had conversation w- with those athletes so comfortably where going to talk to a chef like um, Gregory Gorday, like that meant so much to me. You know, talking to Nong was such a big deal for me. And th- those moments, Diane Lamb, um, each of those conversations was so meaningful to me that just made me realize like, hey, this is really what I want to do. I want to treat these people like the the athletes of their industry.
0: It's interesting you say that also because when I started doing my Portland Food Adventures thing, part of the realization for me coming from the East Coast in New York, where, you know, there are a lot of sp- there was a lot of sports there was Mm -hmm. in Portland at the time there were no timbers so let's just eliminate that but there (laughs) there was um you know there were the trailblazers but I always thought of our chefs as our you know we call them rock stars I suppose but as our sports stars and they were approachable and that you could eat their food you know Damien Lillard Lillard isn't going to hand you a basketball and say let's go (laughs) shoot so I I was always really impressed with that and then the the other thing that I that just completely impressed me was, and it it was a little you had a leg up on where I was, but I was just an ad guy with an idea, and I would call people like Kathy Wims and Jason French. And at the time, Scott Dolich and they would make time for me, not even really knowing what I wanted, just because I was someone who was showing interest in them. And that impress, that was really impressive to me that they would take the time. So I would imagine if you've got something that would, that they could see right off the bat might benefit them. And I don't know what your pitch was to get in the door, but, uh, I would imagine it was, Probably easier for you in your industry in Portland, Oregon than it than it is for a lot of people entrepreneurs trying to break in and make contacts
3: yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, asking for that time in a moment when time was either critical or plentiful, depending on where people were with their situations uh, It was amazing to think like, oh, all I did for so many of them was either order something online, go pick it up and realize that the chef was the one handing me the bag because they were the only ones working. Mm -hmm. Or if I was DMing uh, a restaurant with 15,000 followers where I'd be like, oh, they would never get back to me. I don't know how this works immediately saying, hey, come on over, you know, like we're we're open and nobody's here. And again, like I said, five minutes turns to three hours sometimes, and it was amazing. Some of the best conversations I've had. People geeking out on, you know, whether they were they used to be skaters, basketball players, who I've worked with that they are fans of. uh, Asking them, asking me for industry stories. Me asking them for industry stories you know, the footwear world is that tight little circle, just like the the culinary world is. And it's so interesting to hear the connections and the six degrees of separation, especially in Portland, where those two worlds collide so frequently. It was so much fun to realize like, oh, we, we are in the same circles, you know, so many times it was like, yep, I know that person for a totally different reason but I didn't realize that they had stodged at your place or I didn't know that they were a partner in your in your restaurant or your winery and mm-hmm. it's awesome to start to hear those little those little connections from one world to the other
0: so who were some of the first chefs that uh where you can remember sitting there and going I love this this is I'm so happy I'm in this this industry now as opposed to I won't say just the footwear and sports industry, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, something new and exciting.
3: Yeah, um, the very first one that w- was one of those five minutes turns to a couple hours was um, actually Sean King and Jamie King. And they had just opened Bar King three weeks before lockdown. Oh, yeah, they,
0: they took a hit.
3: Yeah, and... Honestly, it was, I reached out and I was like, Hey, we had a reservation for 10 and it was canceled. Like, so sorry for what's going on. How, how can, how can we help? We know you're doing, you know, meal kits would love to do that, but would also love to talk to you about our, our idea and sent him the link to what we had available, um, in terms of our Instagram. And he was like, yeah, swing by, um, we went to their space, um, you know, sat six feet apart. I opened up my laptop. He saw a PDF of me just kind of having what was going to be concept renderings and drawings of the shoe at this point, because we didn't even have samples. Um, and he saw that the the PDF was called Mies and he laughed and then just kind of nodded and then said, fuck yeah. And then he put his arm up and he had kind of the, the mise en tattoo right across his arm. And he's like, that word means so much to me. Like I'm in, and it was just kind of a funny like, hey, we knew that, you know, we've had a lot of people call it Mize and not know how to pronounce it. And it was like, if you know, you know, like if you're going to be a part of this industry, this is a great word to have as your brand name. And we we started talking about it. And he started to geek out on the fact he was, you know, an ex-skater, uh, he, still a skater for that matter, but love the idea of it taking from cues of skateboarding, basketball, running, training, um and he really believed in the fact that he is—he deserves something different. And he was wearing and had still been wearing um, dance goes. And he was like, I wear dance goes because that's what my last, you know, chef told me to wear. Mm-hmm. And he's like, so many people are probably in that, hey, like, what do you look to? Who's inspiring you with what you're wearing? If it's not about style, if it's not about, you know, looking good, then it's about functionality. And so many of those chefs from, you know, 15, 20 years ago, had really just Birkenstocks and Danskos to choose from.
0: Talk about opportunity, man. If they're just taking the best they can find as opposed to something that's designed especially for them. Just quickly for the uninitiated, would you explain the name Mies and and where that comes from in the industry?
3: Yes. So for us, um, you know, we did our typical agency brainstorming session of how do we look at names? What would work for this? this category what would be a differentiator within everything else that's going on and like i mentioned nothing is kitchen specific everything is for cruise for safety for non-slip for comfort in what those other options are in the industry and for us we're like well no we're focusing on the culinary industry so let's find a name that matters to the culinary industry and so Mise, m-i-s-e uh pronounced m-e-e-z really um is short a shortened term for mise en place, which is a culinary term for everything in its place. And so, for us, it means a lot as designers because of our minimal nature, The fit, you know, our fan, uh, being a fan of everything being necessary on the shoe. No frills, no extra design details, nothing fancy beyond what's there. Um, everything in its place means something very special to us, to the industry. Of course, it's your prep. It's having everything in its place before service, getting your me's in order to make sure that you're successful during you know when you're in the middle of the shit you know when you're in the weeds
0: well also <laughs> everything starts with the people actually preparing the food so they, if they're in place in these shoes it's a, it's an excellent name and yeah. congratulations for coming up with that was that a long exploratory or is that something that came upon pretty quickly that you decided upon and said let's go It
3: was one of those gut things. It was one of the first couple that we threw out and we're like, there's no way that's going to be trademarkable. You know, there's no way we can get that. It's a four letter word in this industry that everything's taken at that short and sweet. And we went through, you know, another week or two of brainstorming bringing out words, looking at, you know, the different systems, the different terms that are used in, uh, in the industry. And in the end we said, let's just go check, let's check and see if it's available. And it was. And so we snagged it and started working towards that being our brand.
0: That is exciting to, when you really believe in something and then you also find out you can do it because we're in a world (laughs) where so many, there's so many roadblocks and and landmines for everything you want to do. So that is awesome. I was actually watching, uh, Shark Tank last night or the the night before, it doesn't matter, where uh, one of the sharks said they were really impressed that someone went ahead and developed a, a product without getting all the patents in place ahead of time because it said, you know, there's so many and entrepreneurs who do all the legal work first, without doing the marketing work, to find out whether the product is viable. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, you have a viable product, and you're now selling in. I mean, you're starting in Portland, and I'm sure the it's going to, as with any industry. And if it when it goes well, you're going to be expanding to other markets as well, or it will just naturally expand if it hasn't already. How's that going? I mean, when when were they first? When when could one first purchase a pair of Mies shoes?
3: Yeah, so we we opened up the website for pre-order in December of 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, we had received our confirmation samples from our factory partners. We had tested things. Um, we had gone through a two to three month wear test program um, with 150 uh, chefs, line cooks, bartenders, baristas throughout the country. Um, to give us feedback with 150 pairs that we had opened up on our own, just saying, Hey, we'd love to get feedback beyond just the typical footwear industry, 10 to 15 pairs. Um, we use that as an opportunity to reach out to people, them to give us feedback, start getting those connections. And after that, from, you know, September to to December, we felt ready. We had everything confirmed and we opened up for pre-orders um, with with the website saying available in spring for shipping Um, during that time of early 2022 of all places after everything was feeling a little bit more comfortable or as comfortable as can be with COVID lockdowns and everything uh, we were manufacturing in China and China started to finally have their lockdowns and their slowdown and so all of our, you know, materials were held up. All of the systems that were in place from before started to seize up and pause. And so we started to hit one month today, delay, two month delay, three month delay. And the next thing you know, um, we're, we had to stop pre-orders. We had to stall pre-orders. We had to obviously reach out to all the customers, let them know what was going on. Um, because in the end, we were trying to get a tool on people's feet. This isn't mm-hmm. just something that was for style at all. We were starting to feel that pressure of like, man, we're actually getting to the point of disappointing these people. And whether that's five people or 500 people, it really was taking a toll on me personally of all I wanted to do was help these people. And now I'm making them wait for something that they believed in. And now I'm doubting because I don't even know if I can get it set, like, done
0: I would imagine no one was pointing to you and saying it's his fault. I think we're in a period now where everyone generally realizes that the best laid plans don't necessarily come to pass. I mean, almost everything is delayed or uh, a roadblock now. So that must have been frustrating because you were all jacked up and were excited. But um, no one was was blaming you, I don't think. so. Uh,
3: Unfortunately the world of social media allows for some people to blindly make some accusations. And there was some points that really hit harder than I expected. I feel like I'm somebody that has thick skin and I knew that we were laying the plans as best as possible. And unfortunately there's some people that came along that just decided that um, they did enough research to be dangerous and found that I was what they considered an ex, an ex corporate, you know, C-suite, somebody or other that was just trying to milk the money out of the industry. And those things were painful. And it's one of those things where you don't want to get into an online social argument with somebody that is only doing it to stoke the fire. And so there was a lot of times that I did have to step up and pull out of the anonymity that I hoped for, where I didn't want to be a face of a brand. I didn't want to be considered that at all. Um, But if somebody's saying this is a problem and this is what you've caused, I gave them, you know, full transparency. We've always been open to try and give any explanation to what's going on to make sure that people knew why the delays were happening, what was going on with us. And realistically, that we're a team of two full timers and four to five others that are doing things. Uh, behind the scenes to support us you know at any given time
0: and these were not industry people these were just people who you know trolls i guess we one could call them maybe i don't know who they are but my guess is they they were just they just had nothing better to than to do than to play that portland game of if someone's a success or been in the corporate world before they are necessarily evil and, uh, boy, that's just, it's easy. Yeah, it's easy to go there, I guess, for yeah. anybody with all the evil corporate people that there are, but it doesn't mean that everybody who's ever played in that, uh, you know, in that world is, is evil. So are, were they industry people that were giving you a hard time or were they just people?
3: It was a mixed bag. There were some people that just came across us one way or another. There was people that pre-ordered and those, you know, those stung. It was like, oh yeah, they, they tried, they were frustrated. They tried something to support us and we couldn't. Um, but it's interesting to see how people take out their frustration sometimes. And for every one of those people, there was 25 people that understood. And like you said, everybody knows supply chain. Everybody knows inflation. Everybody in the industry is feeling it. And so when we gave those those reasons and the, the transparency to say, hey, something just didn't go our way this time, um, people were supportive and just, you know, overall it was really – reassuring that hey this is this is good you know just like if you're in the restaurant industry and you're getting a review who knows what somebody had happened to them that day that just made them come in and know that there was going to be a chip on their shoulder if they waited an extra five minutes for their plate or something was wrong in their order and mm-hmm. you know some things are out of our control but some things we have to accept for what they what they are in the end it's hospitality and service and there's always going to be those those people that ruin a good experience just because that's where they're at in their minds or that's what they love to do. So we took it and you know after those 6 to 7 months of delays we finally got shoes to the US, we got them checked and reviewed and we were able to fulfill pre-orders at the start of September. And then we opened up orders in mid-September um, with our website going live, and it's been live since.
0: That's not long ago. So I go back to my days in marketing in the corporate world, mm-hmm. and um, I recall we were we were. I actually worked for Bank of Boston. My agency. I had an ad, I was with an ad agency, and um, they were they were transforming all their ATMs, and they knew they were going to have problems, like that people were going to be at the ATM and they weren't going to get their money or some shit was going (laughs) to happen. But there was some research that showed if you give them money and you make good on that, so if they have a bad experience and then you make it good, they're actually happier than if they never had the problem in the first place because you had the opportunity to fulfill a a hospitality or customer service promise that you wouldn't have necessarily had so i don't know whether that was the case you just started putting them on the feet of people in the industry and i'm i'm guessing what kind of feed i mean i can't guess what kind of feedback have you gotten uh foot back, what kind of foot foot back have you gotten and um there's my ad agency time coming back at me um and so has it all has it been largely positive positive? and i i assume you assume you have to know that there are going to be some comments, critical comments that maybe you're going to learn from and make make things better too.
3: Yeah, most definitely. You know, this was our first production run. So we've got our quirks. We're finding things out. People are telling us things that we would have never thought. Some things are popping up that, hey, we went through wear test and we see we can still improve. Other things are coming back and saying, hey, that wear test really worked out and this feature or that function are loved and so you know i think the biggest thing that we're seeing is um sizing you know the fact that we are right now we've just started to open up our first few stockists but in the end we're mainly direct to consumer through our website us only Um, so we offer 30 days no questions asked returns and exchanges So we want people to go and try them out and beat them up in their kitchens. Um, We don't want them trying them on and asking people to just wear them in their living room on carpet so that they don't get them dirty. Um, Mm -hmm. We want to see what happens to these shoes when they're put to the test. And so we've gotten some returns that are gnarly. That's the only word I I can put. Like people have put them through the ringer real quick. And that has given us a wide awakening of, hey, like, as good as we believe our shoes are, we can keep making them better. We can make new versions right now. We've got our one shoe and that's our, you know, that's our eight inch chef knife. That's our go-to the utility knife that, you know, you can always go to and make sure that it's going to work. But we know somebody's going to need that big hefty shoe. That's safe to clunk around in at a warehouse or, you know, a manufacturing facility. Uh, and we know that somebody else is going to need something a little bit dressier for front of house or sleeker or, you know, um, We're seeing what that feedback is and uh, realizing like, hey, we have the opportunities that we knew we wanted to build into the brand of building out a product line. And it doesn't need to be that we go and find another industry to go and tap yet. Um, We've had a lot of people say, hey, these would be great for surgeons. Hey, could you do gardening shoes? These are all great. Great ideas. But for us, we are who we are because we're sticking to the industry and that's who we're catering to if you happen to be able to do those other things in those shoes great but we're not one of those shoes that we're going to say we can be anything for everybody that's in service so um with that feedback it's been uh, it's been really positive and i think the thing that we're also learning is We're not going to fit everybody's feet. Feet are so weird, Um, and -hmm. that's why there's hundreds of options, thousands of options. Even per brand, there's so many options because everybody's going to have a different opinion on what a a shoe should fit like, how it should feel, how it should breathe, how it should slip on. So, you know, for us, some of it is taking it with grains of salt, and some of it is, hey, this is a really interesting insight.
0: I have found, you know, I'm in my 60s, and I have over the years – found shoes I thought were perfect that these are perfect for me I love how long they last I love how they feel I just discovered another new brand you know, just now at this age. So it changes all the time. Technology changes. And I'll also say, uh, my son wears a rather large shoe size and it was tough to find sh- any shoes to yeah. fit him until we discovered oddball, whom I'm sure you're aware of in, mm-hmm. in Portland. And, you know, still with a lot of the brands, he'd go through them in a week, in a month, two months, just di- the holes right through them. And it took years for him to find brands that were okay for his feet, not only were comfortable, but um, didn't chew up immediately. So I would imagine it's a bit of a challenge right now, because you're only three months in, you can't, you can't necessarily know that your shoes are going to last three years two years 10 years i mean i i have i have some um born shoes that are 28 years old and i don't i don't may not wear them every day but usually those soles start to fall off like i'm i'll mention echoes after 10 years the the glue wears off and everything falls apart so um Anyway, so you can only know so much now, and it's got to be a little challenging, and yes, everybody's feet are different. It's like, hey, it's the same thing in the, you know, if you read, I feel like if you read food reviews, restaurant reviews, everybody's got different palates, for God's sakes. So I, I don't have to believe that everything that one reviewer says is exactly how, going to be my experience at all.
3: Yeah, no, and that's what we've seen, you know. Um in the past couple months, we've started to run ads for the first time. Um, we've relied really on word of mouth and um, that customer service that you mentioned. You know, um, if anything comes up, there's three of us at any given time um, on our customer service uh, platform, responding to emails, responding to DMs, and we see it and we hear it, and we're you know within the same room at times saying, "Hey, what do we do about this?" Um, this is a new situation. Like somebody's package didn't show up. Uh, somebody's shoe is slipping. That we've never heard of this issue. How do we? How do we address it? You know, like we can only do so much. But like you mentioned, just giving people the attention they deserve and being able to reach out and we have an actual human interaction um, means so much to people. And there's points where we see the first email come in and it's cringe worthy of like, oh no, this person's going to be so upset that you know, they ordered this and it didn't fit the way they expected. And then we give them our point of view and what we would say personally. And, you know, it immediately, the tone is different. You know, there's no, it's so difficult to read tone through emails and DMS in the first place. But as soon as, yeah, as soon as you let somebody know you're there for them, it's, it, it makes a huge difference. And, you know, like, like you said, like a big part of our, of our market right now is Portland. It's the people that have, heard about them through friends, people that were wear testers that now got their replacement shoes um, now that they're in production or people that are friends and family that we've given shoes to are now then going out and you know wearing them during service and people are asking what they are. And so the few times that we've had quirks or maybe our shoes are out of stock online and we have some in the office, we're personally just going and handing them off and delivering them. And it makes a huge difference. We've been able to get you know, a few different teams around town outfitted just because they've said, Hey, I saw this person on my team wearing them. What do we do? Like, how do I get these? And, you know, we've been to to Takibi, we've been to um, uh, Dame and, you know, outfitted people with shoes had them try on their shoes so they don't have to worry about ordering them and bringing them back. So whenever we can, we love being able to help out in person because again, My whole whole goal was to serve those who serve me food I love and drinks I love and a place to meet with friends and family. So whatever I can do and whatever our team can do um, to serve them in return is a huge part of what Mies is.
0: And that face-to-face contact, especially when you're starting small anyway in Portland and you have... Hands on or fork on knowledge of some of these people. Um, you know, you don't want to be the face of the brand, but at least for starting out to feel that there's a website cannot project heart as much as you can looking someone in the eye. And when I first met you, same thing, I could, you could just tell what your passion was and, um, you know, that goes a long way in getting things started as a human being as opposed to just a product. So you can offer that sympathy. You can offer that empathy and yeah. sy- sympathy. Yeah, sympathy. I suppose <laughs> you were going through, you are going through the pandemic. So we've, we've talked a little bit about where you are now and we'll talk, I guess, uh, on uh, where you plan on going. But I also want to go back a little bit, um, after this message from Ringside, and as I'm thinking about pausing for a commercial break from Ringside, I'm, tr- I'm thinking of 78 years of a zillion employees in the back of the house, hours and hours on their feet that probably could have used your product. So let's, let's pause for this message from Ringside right now and come back and talk a little bit about what brought you to this time and place. Hey, Chris,
1: let's pause just a moment to talk about one of our favorite places to eat, Ringside Steakhouse.
0: And one of our favorite places to think about the holidays as well. If you're short on ideas, and even if you're not short on ideas, if you're long on ideas, here's a great idea. Ringside has a special offer on... Dining cards. So when you purchase $300 in ringside gift cards, you get an extra $50 you can use for yourself. Or if you're going to go long and go with $500 in gift cards, you get $100 in bonus. So that's a pretty good bonus. If you're getting gifts for people, then you get to go to ringside yourself, saving $100. Yeah, if there ever was a time
1: for you to pick up those gift cards, we always... Uh, well, we recommend any time of the year, but this is the... Great way to, you know, help yourself out as well. Also, don't forget, Primetime Monday is back. Leave the cooking to ringside and enjoy their three-course prime rib Monday night, which includes uh, you get your appetizer. You get the entree, which is, of course, delicious prime rib, uh, Yorkshire pudding, uh, then you get the dessert with the creme brulee that's every monday night at ringside steakhouse
0: i love that yorkshire pudding i go in and uh i don't know if i'm supposed to say that but sometimes i've gone in and asked for that a la carte so um it's great and speaking of prime rib if you can't go in, or even if you can, enjoy the uh, three-course prime rib dinner. You can enjoy prime rib for Christmas, courtesy of Ringside, at uh, at home. Prime rib dinner for six. You pre-order on their website now, and you pick it up December 23rd. Includes a half a prime rib. Everything else you need, including mashed potatoes, Brussels sprouts, bread, and caramel apple pie. So you order that now at ringsidesteakhouse.com. And that is your Christmas Christmas. christmas no fuss no muss and delicious very nice and don't forget while
1: you're on the website look at the gift card opportunity there and make those reservations you can also make those reservations for your holiday get-togethers on the open table app
0: all right we're here with eric hernandez of Mies footwear and uh, an interesting conversation. We're usually talking about food. Now we're talking about something that has to do with the industry, and that is uh, really interesting. I mean, most of us are very familiar with shoes; we wear them every day. And so, this is an industry-specific thing. But Eric, you have quite an interesting background. You didn't just come up with the, with with this idea and go with it. You had uh, a lot of uh, a lot of experience to back it up. So let's go. Back to your days in the industry, and I'm curious to talk about some of your interactions with the James Hardens of the world, and you had mentioned uh, Kanye as well. So um, let's talk a little bit about your background, do a little uh, resume, if you will, leading up to today.
3: Yeah, um, I've been in the industry 15 plus years, footwear industry, um, and started back in 2006, in Los Angeles with K-Swiss, and that's where I went straight out of college. Um, I had a background in industrial design, and I always just had a love for sneakers. And so finding a way to do art and um, design and play into what footwear was for me was a meaningful opportunity um, versus going into what industrial design really kind of focuses on with Electronics and consumer goods so footwear was a really an interesting one because it is soft goods, it's fashion um, it's more trend based in a lot of ways um, and so going to K-Swiss straight out of school was a really interesting situation where um, they were at their peak when I interned there and as I got hired on full time it started to falter and really lose its path and I was there to see a lot of layoffs, um, a lot of restructuring, a lot of new ideas and hopes come together. And so I got to really play with a lot of different categories of footwear from lifestyle to tennis, to running, to skateboarding, and also take on a lot of responsibilities really early on when I was 21 to 24, really. Um, I was responsible for a mentorship program, their intern program. And I was then Really stressed to think. Oh well, I have to know what I'm doing to be able to teach people how, what they're doing. So it really um, push me well, and, you, get, and you
0: have a you have a, a finite amount of experience to draw from too.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and it was really interesting to see some of the people that were coming through the doors as interns were 29, 30 when I was 24, trying to tell them what they've done. Where this is their second path. Post, you know, trying a career out, I was like, "Oh man, like I have to really learn what I'm doing as quickly as possible." So, um, of all the things at k Swiss, uh, it was it was a really great interest, uh, great case study of what to do, what not to do, how to learn from people that were experts in the industry from a lot of different uh, backgrounds. Um, and from there, I ended up getting a uh, job opportunity at Vans. Um, which for me was really a bit of a dream, uh, having skateboarded as a kid and really always loved what Bands was. It's just a nice classic sneaker. Um, Going there, they wanted me to really push into innovation and try some some new things as they saw that comfort and lightweight and breathability were becoming more important than style in some cases. And I had the chance to take a lot of trips to Asia for uh, manufacturing trips, as I mentioned earlier, um, which really gave me a lot of time to learn the ins and outs of not just how shoes are made, but the politics, the manufacturing, the costs, um, the realities of working in internationally um, with businesses. Uh, And so from there, uh, I was... um, I was recruited by Adidas to come up to Portland, and at that time, um, I had met my, I met my wife now wife um, back when I, she was actually one of my interns at K-Swiss. and so over the four or five years of going back and forth through um, different jobs, she moved out to LA and was getting settled with a footwear job at Asics, and. As she was getting settled down, I said, hey, I have an opportunity in Portland. Would you like to go? And um, thankfully, she said yes. And when I started working at Adidas, she started her agency, Studio Noise, um, as just her, doing consultancy work, um, finding brands like um like Brooks and Superfeet, um, Northwest local brands uh, that needed support. And she grew that over the following years while I was at Adidas um, to four people. And while I was working in the corporate world doing uh, performance basketball shoes and such. So we were running kind of parallel, two different ways of working in the footwear industry uh, up until 2016. And that's when I decided... I wanted to take a chance and work with her at her agency and help her grow that.
0: Oh, that's, and, and I've always brought up whenever that situation arises, how, how does work and play, uh, how do those work together for you? Everybody's different and there's different degrees of that relationship, but, um, it sounds like it's going well because you've really gone lots of great places since that.
3: Yeah, it's definitely an interesting dynamic. I think, You know, we've joked about it over the past couple of years. She's been doing it for nine years now, and I've been part of the team for five. Um, The team has grown to not just footwear designers, but, you know, full full brand agency in a lot of ways. Um, We're working with startups, not just me's, um, but uh, other footwear startups, athletes that want to start their own brands, uh, people that have loved shoes in different ways and just want to do things. And then we, of course, have our corporate clients as well. So it's a great mix of startups and that entrepreneurial mentality that we align with, as well as corporate brands that see what we're capable of. Um, but on the personal side, you know, I think, like I mentioned, she was, she, I was her mentor at one point and she's mentored me as she's had a startup before I ever thought of doing a startup. And I think we've kind of, we've grown in ways that were complementary, but also Mies is an opportunity for me to do my own thing and for her to kind of, um, have her space to keep growing the agency's studio noise in a way that she sees best fit and kind of leaving me behind in some ways, um, as she's given me the chance to be in a client really at this point with me is working with the studio to get some of our support that we need as we're small and, um, growing.
0: And two heads are always better than one. So most definitely provides you with some excellent, um, support as well. Let's talk a little bit about, um, uh, your experiences with athletes and some others along the way. And, you know, I'm curious as to everybody's different, but generally people who have reached the stature where they're naming shoes after them or anything like that uh, are in uh, a space where ego plays more than others. And I don't necessarily know that that's where some of your stories may go, but if they do, we'd love to, we'd love to hear some examples of those.
3: Yeah, no, um, During my time at Adidas in basketball, um, I had the opportunity to meet, you know, athletes like James Harden, uh, Derek Rose, Dame Lillard. Um, so working on product projects with them, um, I was, I had the opportunity to, uh, design James Harden's first signature shoe with Adidas, which is a big deal for me. Um, that was one of those, one of those big aspirations I never thought I'd get to. Um, and it fell into place that I was the right, play, the right person with the right, you know, mentality to what they were looking for to be his collaborator on design. And it's always interesting, you know, the way that brands pitch, whether it's collaborative, whether the athlete or the celebrity designed the shoe, or if it's that they level up and give the designer the clout of like, oh, this is the designer of the James Harden line. And like I mentioned with with Mies, I didn't ever really have the desire to be the name behind the shoe. I didn't really try to get my name out there for the blogs or anything like that. And actually, with the time of that shoe launching, I was actually on my way out from Adidas. So it was mutually beneficial of, oh, well, they don't want to put me out there. And then I leave a week later. So um, it was really an interesting dynamic of like where that played on that side of things.
0: I'm curious as to how much, what is the input the, the player has? Is it mostly design? I mean, at this point, Adidas had comfort and some, you know, technology down. So the, yeah. I don't think James Harden or anybody's going to say, do this. You know, they might say my big ho- toe hurts sometime. I don't know. That's, that's Yeah. It, I mean, so. that's,
3: that's, that's an interesting kind of, um point you made, it is that type of feedback. My toe hurts, this shoe I hated, this part of the shoe that this other brand made me wear uh, because I was sponsored by them really wasn't my vibe. And you know, for us, it's really trying to figure out how to acknowledge those things. Because like you said, if Adidas is touting their latest technology, that has to go into the shoe. It has to be, there's no deal of it not being in the shoe, whether the athlete likes it or not. So Mm -hmm. some of it is a bit of our role of convincing them that, hey, we can make this work for you. You may be unsure about whether this is a feature that you'd like, but in reality, we have to convince them that, hey, this is the best feature for you to use. And so, you know, with the, with the first James Harden shoe, um, there was things like I only wear low tops, which at the time was still a new thing for for players. I think Kobe Bryant was one of the first people to wear low tops um, of the you know most recent generation of players that started to make people realize like oh high tops are actually hold you too tight. Maybe they give you too much ankle reinforcement when people are trying to run and pivot the way people are now versus when it was a big men's game. So somebody like James is like, I want something that fits like a soccer shoe. I want to be able to move around and dance around. So much of my my playing and success is based on my footwork. So something that allows me to move freely is the most important thing. On the other side, your big toe common is spot on because of his stutter steps and his Euro steps and um, any type of moves that are trying to get people to, to get faked out um, people are stepping on his toes and so we actually designed to that feature where we added an extra piece of leather where most shoes weren't putting leather on the on their basketball shoes anymore we put knit plus um, films protective films plus leather on his toe um, to avoid any type of like you know, stubbing that could cause a nail to break off or get a bruise that could really affect his game and cause him to change how he's playing.
0: You need a spike to come out. So if someone steps on his foot, they they know that. Yeah. (laughs) But that's interesting. But I think in the – I'm guessing – in the end, right, it comes down to this shoe looks really cool and I'm glad to put my name on it, right? So for yeah. the, most people, and I've never seen, and I don't play in that arena, but I've never seen anybody say this is the shoe for you if you've got big toe problems or you might, get, you might stub your toe. So, uh, But mostly it's what it looks like, correct?
3: Yeah, in the end, um, there's the look good, play good, and we've used that to the same tone of look good cook good for me um but you know one of those examples is with derrick rose one of the first few times that we started to present him with the shoes that i had been working on uh we were like well what would you like to change how would you like to change this what quirks are there what did you have his feedback and he said i really love it i like he was always so honored to have a shoe with his name on it there was never a demand of it needs to be this it needs to be that and we're like well what's going to help you play better and he's like the shoes aren't what make me play better. I'm good. And the shoes are just for me to wear. And I was like, that's, I mean, that's a really interesting point of view. And that's an amazing level of confidence for someone that had always been so soft-spoken. But in reality, you know, like a lot of the players in the league uh, for basketball specifically right now are wearing 30, 35 year old Jordan shoes that have no advances in performance from, you know, back when Nike was just starting to like understand what technology was in terms right. of airbags and carbon plates. And those shoes are still being worn by the elitist athletes in the league and they're performing just fine. So realistically could LeBron wear a pair of Converse and totally be LeBron still most definitely. So in the end it is it so much of it is a style game and that's why there's thousands of options for everybody to pick from. Um, so, Yeah.
0: I marvel I just watched I every every so often I get into Ken Burns's baseball series and I, you look at the shoes they were wearing back in the 20s and 30s and think they were excellent baseball players so it goes to your point you really don't necessarily I mean you do it helps but yeah. you know if they're if they're great they're going to be great and uh, I just thought it would have been fun practical joke to come out to Derek Rose <laughs> with like a rag and a and a and a, shoestring or you know rope and just say yep. here if it doesn't matter put this on <laughs> yeah
3: <laughs> no and it is i mean everything you know with running shoes especially right now breaking records getting faster and quicker and lighter um it's notable it's very noticeable that those things are causing advancements in what human capabilities are and obviously training and um nutrition and everything else is happening at the same speed so everything is advancing But in the end, there is a baseline of, you know, put a little bit of cushioning and support and protection on somebody, and they can probably perform just as good as if you put them in a $1,000 pair of shoes sometimes.
0: Or almost as well, and you'll never know. So let me ask you this. Uh, I don't know if you've given any thought to this, and you may just say, I don't know, Chris, where are we going to be in 100 years with shoes? Because if you would have asked, as I just said, in the 20s, baseball shoes were just Really, like leather shoes with leather soles. What? What where do you think we're going to be in a hundred years? Where's the technology going to go?
3: <laughs> it's such a it's such a hard one because as much as everybody sees these things that are marketed by the big brands as advancements in technology, it's still a piece of textile or a synthetic material, some foam underfoot, and some rubber. You know. Things haven't advanced, advanced as much as people or brands like you to think. And that's the crazy part. I think things that are promising are the sustainable side of the things and making sure that we're not just landfilling shoes after shoes after shoes. Um, and my hopes would be in the way sooner than 100 years would be that everything can be, you know, a full site, a full circle type of mentality where, hey, what was used in a shoe can be used again for a shoe. Um, that should be in the next 10 years, um, ideally, um, sooner if things, if everybody gets on the same wavelength of this is more important than shaving another 10th of a second off of your performance of something, um, adding,
0: adding another 5% to the bottom line too.
3: Yes. Yes. That exactly too. That's an even bigger push sometimes. (laughs) Um, you know, I think it's, it's an interesting one, a hundred years, like there's things like nanotechnology and things that comic book movies and things like Iron Man have pushed the agenda of, of what could it be that are really interesting. And I think seeing the innovation teams and what are being pushed for, um, for brands like Nike and Adidas, it's always amazing to see that, you know, the pivot right now is sustainability. And so maybe all eyes are on that because that's more important than the performance Um, but it is a little bit of like what for something like the industry of of food and beverage, like protection, safety, slip. Slip is still an issue that is no matter what the compound is and what type of bottom you put on it, people are still going to slip on oil. And so what are those things that become very niche in some cases of like, oh, well, that's only going to work for people that need non-slip. It's like, well, think about how many people's, Uh, Lives you could save and how many injuries you can, you can uh, avoid Mm -hmm. if you just focused on something as simple as that. So Mm -hmm. hopefully as, as small brands like us start to like come about and say, Hey, it's, it's actually really important that these niche brands survive because we can focus on the needs of certain people versus just this overarching foot coverings and what you can find on Zappos on discount for 30% off during black Friday and really think about, hey, this is a tool, it then makes there a reason for something to last long or to endure or to be safer or better for a reason.
0: That is uh, interesting to think about. And we're, right now, you're mostly selling in Portland as we start to wrap this up mm-hmm. um, and when do you, ha, are you starting to get outside of Portland and what do you project in a few years? You, are you going to be all over the country? Are you going to be able to advertise on, on some places like right at the fork or elsewhere <laughs> in in the industry? Um, what do you project? What are you looking towards in the next you know, two, three, four or five years?
3: Yeah, no, I mean uh, when we launched our site live on, um, in September, um, that was nationally. So we're, we're all over the place within the first, between pre-orders and our first month or two of, of, uh, selling, we hit every state in the country. So we have at least two pairs of me's in every state in the country. that's Fantastic. Congratulations.
0: That's got to feel
3: good. Yeah. Um, and you know, two is two is like We've hit Alaska and that's a a interesting one, but you know, every state, you know, LA, um, New York, Austin, Chicago, Seattle, Portland, we're, we're at the hundreds, which is awesome to think like, hey, there's hundreds of people that you can go into a restaurant, you can glance and along with those Birkenstocks and Danskos that you expect to see. You're getting people that are saying, what are those? How are people – what are those and how do I get them? And then we're getting those emails and those orders coming through. So, yeah. I well, mean, you should, you right should now-
0: also get push instead of pull where you got – You got chefs telling their friends, you got to get a pair of these. That's really where it's going to take off, where they don't have to go looking for it, but they they tell them. So, uh, that endorsement is key. So the fact that you have so many in the big cities, man, it could multiply really quickly, I would imagine. And are you set up for that? Are you, if all of a sudden you had, you know, 10,000 orders coming in in January of 2023, how long does it take to fulfill those?
3: Yeah, we're, we're, we're working out the kinks, so everything that we learned during the the <laughs> worst of scenarios during lockdown, um, we've we've made sure to address a lot of those things. Right now, you know, so much of it is that we're bootstrapping everything. We haven't given up any uh, ownership. It's it's me, and um, in the end, it's a little bit of selling shoes to get more shoes is the big deal. So the more we sell, the more we can replenish. And right now been awesome we're you know we're we're celebrating the fact that we're selling out of a few different sizes um the holiday push has been great you know just naturally people just wanting to get shoes for for friends and family and we know the start of the year is slow in the industry but it doesn't mean you don't need new shoes if you're starting a new a new job so um we we will be replenishing shoes uh by spring so hopefully spring stays as spring this year and doesn't end up as summer fall right. like it did last year. Um, but we're better suited for that, and really um, we want to make sure that we are, we're able to get people what they need in terms of a tool that people are starting to show that they love and really are dedicated to with our brand.
0: Fantastic. So let's uh, make sure people know where to find you online and on Instagram or wherever you want them to find you.
3: Yeah, so on Instagram, our... Our handle is Mies M-I-S-E, Footwear. And our website is www.miesfootwear.com
0: That's easy. And uh, hopefully a lot of people get there. Do you see it like a shark tank in your future? I'm sorry. I, I watch that <laughs> show all the time. I think you'd, be a, you'd, be a, you'd do a great pitch. They'd love you. And you're obviously intelligent. And you'd be able to think on your feet when they throw you the, some questions. And you'd have most of the answers. Anything like that? Yeah,
3: I think the big thing was we we started this as a case study, and then it became a passion project. And right now, we're at that point where it's like, let's see how well this works. And as we see that it's working, uh, the confidence is building. And I think for us, it's always just making sure that we have that traction and that we can prove like, hey, this is sustainable, and it's not just us doing something because we're passionate about it, and stubborn. So um, over 2023, we'll start to look at what those opportunities are, you know, I'd love to be able to find people that are just as passionate as me and the rest of the team, um, to be partners and collaborators. And really, if it's somebody that sees that they want skin in the game, we'd love to talk to them about what that means, you know? And, um, shark tank is a big one. It's obviously a fun one to think about, but Mm -hmm. if there was a, you know, a chef, a restaurateur, uh, uh, hospitality owner that really saw what we were doing and really saw that it was an important thing that they'd love to be a part of, that would be a meaningful push for us first.
0: I was glad, you know, we're coming out of this period where all the things that I love so much about the Portland food world, were going to events and talking to people and meeting new folks um, had kind of gone away. And, you know, we lost, I know some of my favorite chefs in the food world in Portland. But I was really glad to go to that um, industry event at Steelport a few where I met you. Yeah, uh, that was probably a month or so ago, maybe a little longer and just see really awesome brands like Mies and Steelport and Finex all in one spot and seeing what the what people in Portland, you know, their passion is what it's embodying right now. And, uh, that was really cool. And I hope to see more of those, but I, though you those three brands, yours and those two that I mentioned, I'm, you know, I believe in, and I want to see them do so well. And the, the, one of the common threads through all of them is that wonderful people and smart people have started them and, and put forward something that the, the community needs. And, uh, I commend you for what you're doing, and I really, you know, you and I had five minutes there to talk, yeah. and that's uh, one of the things I love about this podcast, selfishly, is it gives me, um, and hopefully uh, hundreds, thousands of other people, the opportunity to get to know you too. So I really appreciate it, and uh, I'd love to have you back after a while, after things are really rocking nationwide and maybe internationally for you.
3: Yeah, it would be an honor. Um, it was a pleasure to meet you, obviously, at that event. And like you said, um, one of the biggest things that is meaningful to us is that Portland tie. Uh, if it wasn't for Portland, we wouldn't be doing this, and uh, I wouldn't be here because of what you know, food and footwear somehow came together in a way that made sense for me and for us. And yeah, um, would be happy to continue telling you the story as we as we move forward.
0: And I would urge anyone to go re-listen to this podcast and you to listen to it and hear all the appropriate really cool copy the the copy ideas that came out of your mouth Words pivot and ties and just so many things that were that are shoe specific that I think are just probably second nature to you and you don't realize they're coming out, but or just serendipitous. That's all for me. Lots of things come out that I just there's no way that I could have thought of that, and somehow somebody said, "Well, that's going to work in a in a headline." So um, anyway. It's pretty cool. Thanks so much, Eric. I appreciate it, and uh, good luck. Have a great holiday season, and uh, we'll hope to see you soon.
3: Thanks. You as well. Take care. All right.
0: Thanks.
2: Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at FoodPodcastPDX, or on Facebook at Right at the Fork, or online at RightAtTheFork.com.